I got a special guest too. Look what the cat dragged in. Introduce yourself, young man. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Andre Hippix. I'm from Hippix Logistics, carrier transportation company of Expediting Field. You know, he he reached out to me on LinkedIn. He said, "Hey, I'm thinking of coming up to Chattanooga," and, and you showed up today. And you had a motorcycle home with you. Did you did you motorcycle up here from uh, Nashville? Uh, <laughs> so actually, not from Nashville. Although last week, me and my wife took a four day sabbatical and we went to Pensacola on motorcycles and back. So we do love to trek around. But uh, came from Chattanooga. Live here with my family for about a year now, and love riding motorcycle. It gives you a little bit of freedom that you need on daily, you know, daily dose. What kind of bike do you ride? Uh, it's a 2002 um, sprint, uh, Sportster, Harley Davidson, still carbureted, so I get to work on it a little bit, uh, you know, huff and puff. But yeah, I like it. It's very a lot of fun. Hey, as I understand it, you're you're a music guy. Yes, I appreciate music. I've been on a journey through music, and I've also, as a vagabond, traveled with a guitar <laughs> for a half a year around the world and played on the streets, um, challenging myself and sharing the skills. And- so, did you catch the Grammys last night? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately not. My wife was more important to me. <laughs> well, if you caught the Grammys, they were brought to you by a truck. Take a look at this tweet from my buddy Greg Dubois. He said, uh, at the Grammys 2024, rock on upstairs. We're chilling in the docks at Crypto.com Arena, ready to do our part. Look at that, man. Logistics is everywhere, is it not? Oh, yeah. It's phenomenal. I think I even commented on your post and said, hey, give the credit where the credit is due because drivers are the ones that are making this happen. Yeah, well, but what? Something happened. Taylor Swift decided to upstage the entire Grammys. During the middle of it, she put this out. Her new album, Dead Poet Society, is dropping. She says, all's fair in love and poetry. I'm sorry. New album, The Tortured Poets Department, out April 19th. That was, uh, that was, um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. My name is Spacing. Who's the guy in Goodwill Hunting and Dead Poets? Robin Williams. That was Robin Williams, not mm. Taylor Swift in Dead Poets Society. <laughs> you excited? You get, you're getting, uh, you, you excited for the Super Bowl? You like Taylor Swift? You think um, it's good for the world? So I, I think Taylor Swift is, uh, she is a character of two sides. I actually recently learned it on our trip to Florida. A good friend of ours was singing one of her songs at the karaoke we were, and she totally killed it, so... That was awesome. Uh, but Taylor Swift, uh, she's a happy girl, as everybody knows, uh, but she also got some other side, and uh, that's how her friend told us there's a whole new side to her that many people that don't listen to her don't know, which is me, but oh, well, interesting. Hey, last year was, was a big year for trucking for her. She gave those $100,000 bonuses to all of yeah. her drivers. So for that, we'll give her a little cowboy. She may be the Illuminati. I'm not sure. I know some of you think <laughs> she is. I, I don't know. Maybe the Super Bowl's rigged. I don't know. I'm not saying that. Not making those accusations. Though it's not rigged the spot market, but sometimes it may feel like it's working against you. Craig Fuller has some good news, though. He just tweeted, trucking spot rates have thawed up 23 cents a mile or 15% since November. This is unusual and a great sign for continued recovery in the trucking market. Now, there was a little blowback. Jim Wanker said three major holidays in a countrywide winter storm in this time frame skewing the data. Big shippers have seen capacity return and spot pricing reduce over the past seven days. Supply continues to leave the market, but not at a rate great enough to return to pre-COVID levels. But here's a little chart for you. Levels are looking pretty good. I mean, they're better than last year. They're not as good as those pandemic highs, mm. but we're above where we are. We're all hoping for that thaw and that recovery, seeing those green shoots. And uh, there you go. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, we've, we personally also as a company have been waiting for, for this year to kick in and first quarter already shown little improvements and we're really hoping. Ha- has Expedite seen the same softness as like, as drive-in? Uh, yes. Um, I think we are getting a little, um, a little improvement in the market right now. We're booking more jobs right now and more people are coming in. The winter was a little bit hard we had a lot of guys that just left and we didn't know how long they were going to leave for and they just didn't get rates they could you know keep their business running for um however we're just hopeful and um waiting for the for the market to come back up because uh drivers are the ones that have really been kind of suffering and we're being a company that advocates for the drivers we're all just rooting for everybody nice well we gotta tip the band we're gonna get into you in just a second we got a bunch of awesome guests but first let's talk to put us help put us on this show today i want to take a second to put these guys in your radar it's dynamic logistics because i gotta say they're doing logistics the right way their tms software is saving shippers a significant amount of time and money check them out at dynamiclogistics.com. that's logistics yeah with an x <laughs> dynamic logistics i believe we even hold their freight on, uh, oh, do you really? Yeah. Wow, look at this. Look at this synergy coming up here. This wasn't even planned. Well, on episode 678 of What the Truck, I'm joined by the 10A group, Spencer 10A. He's coming on here near the end of the show. He's going to talk about their annual logistics and supply chain M&A report. We're going to look at uh, what's trending, how the deals went last year, and what he thinks is going to happen this year. Will people be spending again? We'll see. Apparently, it's been a 10-year high for the number of acquirable companies that are going to be on the market this year. Mm. Yeah. You, uh, you do any investing? You looking to buy any companies? wow that's a a big jump from where we are as a company right now but maybe one day once we accomplish our goal of again taking care of our drivers well we're also going to find out how you haul monster loads we got black box logistics will hopkins he's here he talks about the art on the logistics of trucking gigantic pieces of equipment he pulls cool freight i'm gonna get to take a look at that and we got the Mm. honorable jim sanborn is coming up after you he believes that for supply chain tech to matter it has to make life easier not a crazy request does it is it no i think we could all have a little bit of that Okay, well, and of course, we have you right here. You're Andre Hippix. You're the founder of Hippix Logistics, sir. What brings you down to town? Um, what brings me down to town is the opportunity to meet you. Yes. Mr. <laughs> Timothy Dooner, uh, and also be here. Um, I'm very appreciative of this opportunity and also just maybe speak out a word on, uh, again, saying that um, being an owner-operator and a driver first and then transitioning to being a carrier, um, I can really relate on the fact that drivers, at least an hour corner of the industry of uh, expediting transportation um, are underserviced and unappreciated. And we kind of came to the market to change this. And so we're building strong relationships with drivers and holding and growing our fleet and every single person that we work with so that we could better service the industry, whether it's brokerages, freight forwarders, customers, um, we can really handle it all. And uh, we believe in strong partnership and relationships with specifically drivers who do the hardest part of this industry. Nice. Well, now you've pled with the audience. You, You've, you've said your piece. I got a question, though. In your background, I was looking. You not only have a carrier, but you also do vacation rental management. It got me curious. What is harder? Both are about capacity. Both are about moving goods. I mean, people around units, mm. right? There's a lot of similarities, more than you would think. Um, yes, there are a lot of similarities. There are some differences. Um, I will say with Airbnb or tra- vacation uh, rental management, that little bit is on the back end right now because my main focus is uh, transportation. It just so it happened um, when I started the uh, Airbnb management or BNB top management. Um, God blessed us with an opportunity on opening a company in transportation and going into it. So that took over first and foremost. And as you know, we opened right before COVID happened. So there was a big lull with uh, vacation 
vacation for quite some time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's serving serving people, you know, that's really at the end of the day, whether it's transportation or uh, Airbnb management or anything else, I think the calling is in the service to each other. And, you know, I take that mission strongly to my heart and really try to implement it across the board. You know, one thing you were telling me about before we went on air was some of the um, the transparency issues in Expedite. Expound on that to the audience. What? How does Expedite work? Because you were telling me a lot of times you, you show up and you're you're not really even sure exactly what you're picking up. Yeah, that is a, I would say, a problem. Um, we in expediting experience quite often. Um, our drivers will go to pick up a freight and we don't know what kind of facility it is. Is it an airport or not? I mean, thankfully, over time, we kind of learned the zip codes of the airports and we know when that is about to happen. But when we quote jobs, we really don't know the things that are going on. You know, is this, uh, you know, a, it might be a heavier freight. A freight might be completely different dimensions. Driver arrives and cannot even pick it up uh, because it doesn't fit the, uh, the vehicle dimensions or payload is completely different um, or we don't even know the value uh, of the freight so we're really hoping in expediting for transparency uh, and it to come through hopefully through some technological innovations and um, because I think you know again companies will do so much better uh, when being better informed and we're one of those so we see the need of that what kind of tech would help you out the most right now just for, for the, the creators out there, the builders, the founders out there, the, the M&A guys, maybe you could build it instead. What kind of tech can you build here? You got a market. Ooh, do we want to give up the secrets? <laughs> Why, are you building it yourself? <laughs> um, well, uh, we are. We're definitely working on something uh, proprietary just for ourselves. Yeah. So we can improve the, again, the market for ourselves and the drivers that we work with. Uh, but in general, generally speaking, like it would be so cool if there was something like, um, truck stop or DAT board, just something where anyone could come up, sign up as an owner operator or a carrier uh, and get an understanding of general freight movement and general tra uh, rates based on the location, where you're picking up, where you're going. And then what that's been booked for, you know, maybe last day, last hour, last month, I think yeah. it would be tremendous. There's plenty of that, like in the drive van space, there's, there's load bars, load boards, things like sonar. When you're talking about the expedite space, it just becomes a whole lot murkier. Now, before you even started the company, you were an expedite driver for a little while? Yes, I was on the road actually for uh, for about a year and a half. Um, started as a driver, worked for a Ukrainian owner operator um, until I had a benevolent kick in my butt because <laughs> the guy just went to Ukraine for a month and didn't pay me a dollar. And I was driving and paying for gas myself while I was about to get married. And we were, you know, going to have a family and kid and everything like that. So I'm sure you can kind of feel when you have family coming in, it's a whole different level. I love freight, but it's a tough world, man. It's, <laughs> it's you know, freight don't care. Pray don't care. And people that the, the playing it too are not always uh, of the greatest caliber too. So, but that was a benevolent kick. Why? Because I knew I needed to step off the van and return yeah. equipment and get my own equipment. And that's what I started as an owner operator. I had friends in the industry too at that point, um, develop relationships. And being an owner operator for about a year and a half, we just saw... And I myself, I experienced things, you know, when inconsistencies, lack of accountability, uh, room for improvement. And we thought, OK, well, why don't we just become the company that gives the jobs to these owner operators like ourselves instead of being the ones receiving them? Because we want to do way better than them. And I think we can. You can. So before I let you go, how big is your fleet now? You've done a little growing. We've done growing and we've also lost some, unfortunately, during last year in COVID. Um, so we were at some point at high about 170 plus, And right now we're about 130 uh, owner operators and drivers. We have both, you know, 
company assets um, as well as owner ops. But our main thing really, when we look at it, it, our assets really the people and people that are already in the industry because we want to represent them. And there's so many of them, to be honest with you, at this point, we have 5,000 plus applicants that individually applied personally to work with us. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Well, you know what? Before I let you go, you said you're a musician and I, I, I warned you. I was going to drop us a beat. Drop us something. May, may, give us the cowbell whenever someone's live here. Got to get their hands on it. All right. Well, let, let's try something out. Beautiful. Excellent. Reminds me a little. I've uh, been playing a lot of Tekken recently. A little, little Tekken oh, music. I have a friend. He's all about Tekken. Every every week, I get a message from him. Have you played it? Have you started oh, it? The new one, Party. Yes. It's yes. Best fighting game ever made. People get it. Ten out of ten. Dooner says so. I used to play it on PlayStation One. Uh, yeah, my kid has. We we set up the PlayStation Classic last night, and it has Tekken Three on it. So my seven year old was playing through it, and he he unlocked all the characters. Oh my! It was God. it was a good moment. He was feeling a little sick. But hey, thank you so much for stopping by. People who want to see your site, where do they go? Uh, very easy. HippixLogistics.com is our website. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Hippix Logistics uh, on YouTube. We're just starting out, very new to social media because we've been uh, tirelessly working every single day sure. in the industry. Um, but little by little, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, website. Well, sir, it was great to meet you. Thank you so much. Have a safe trip back on your motorcycle. Thank you. Take Thank care. You. And then just exit stage left, my friend. All right, everybody. Meanwhile, so this dropped. No, I'm not talking about the Cybertruck. I'm talking about what's on this man's head. It's the Apple Vision Pro. We talk about tech a lot on here. What do you think of the Apple Vision Pro? It's got that, uh, that really standout cord, too, because you can't put the battery pack in it, and he's driving. I saw a lot of reviews on this, and you might be a little nervous. It's not, it's not like an Oculus. There is pass-through, but it's still like wearing goggles. You don't have great peripheral view. I'm sure he's on some sort of self-driving right there, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Now, I think the Honorable Jim Sanborn is back in my bullpen. Now, let's see if we can bring him up. Mr. Jim Sanborn, how you doing, sir? Dooner, can you hear me? I can hear you. You sound great. Can you hear me? Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. We fixed it, man. We fixed it. It took a, it took ah, a little good. judicial act good, in the good. back. It's technology, man. The, uh, the system crashed, and they fixed it up for you. It's the Honorable Jim Sanborn, Network Marketplace Director at E2Open. Jim, how you doing, sir? You saw those uh, Vision Pro goggles. I know you're a tech guy. Uh, you look like you're wearing regular glasses, though. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan. I can't wait to get to the Apple Store and actually put some on my face and see. Cause it, it, and here's we want to talk about make, tech making your life easier. Uh, I spend my day at my desk doing this because of my bifocals all the time. And by the end of the day, I have a bad neck. And if I could just stick my monitors to my face and do my work, I, I'm talking not walking down the street or walking around the house, but instead of being in a desk chair, I'm in the Barca lounger or the Lazy Boy. That's making my life easier. I love it. I can't that wait. You know, that's what some people have said. They're like, look, you can't think of it as a replacement for, and I, and I know all the influencers are going out in public because it looks funny. It makes for like funny mm -hmm. clips, but I don't think that's sort of like the real world usage so much as um, replacing your laptop, right? I mean, that's what people say it, it's really for. I w I'm trying to convince the, the team here to get one so we can put some sonar charts in it and like see how that display looks. We could make some content with this thing. I, I got the million idea for you. Uh, and that is uh, you wear it to like food shippers yeah. And it just identifies as you walk around. Oh, that's just a broker. That's a broker. Oh, there's a shipper. Go get him. 
Yeah, someone showed it in the grocery store, and you know where it is right now. It didn't seem functional at all because you'd you'd look, and then you'd have to pull up Notepad like with your hands, and you'd have to mark. Now, if it could do visually identifying things, though, it could do this in a warehouse, mm-hmm. it could do this in a grocery store, on both the consumer and the commercial level. You might be onto something. Now, I don't know if people are actually going to wear these into publics, but maybe within the warehouse. Yeah, maybe in the warehouse, in the workplace, uh, I can see a lot of those kind of applications for you. But but you were right earlier with the peripheral vision. That's something that's got to be figured out. Yeah. Well, you know, what? I like that. I'm helping you keep your New Year's resolution. You DM me on LinkedIn, said your New Year's resolution was to come on the show. And you wanted to talk about supply chain tech, especially stuff that makes life easier. What do you like right now, Jim? Yeah, there's a couple of things. And, and full disclosure, I've, I've got a partnership with one of these companies. So, okay. um, but uh, HubTech, their their Tabby uh, solution uh, is a rate management system. And instead of getting those uh, phone calls and uh, emails and God forbid a fax uh, asking you for a rate uh, on a load, we can hook up the systems to just talk to each other so that when the shipper has a load available, uh, they can send it out to that solution and it'll calculate up the rate for them take into account all of the different variables and get them an actionable, executable rate within just a few seconds. Totally saves labor on both sides of that transaction, and I really love that. All right, HubTech, Tabby, anything anything else you like out there in 24? Yeah, the other thing to, to talk about is the, uh, the scheduling um, consortium and, uh, and where that's headed. And I think there's a headline scrolling down below us about uh, Uber Freight launching that. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're, if you're not familiar with the consortium, uh, about a dozen companies have gotten together, E2Open included, to try and figure out how we can um, unify under one standard so that we can automate that, uh, uh, the appointment scheduling process. And if you think about the person that sits at their desk all day, maybe, maybe at some point they've got the Apple vision, but they're, uh, but they're going back and forth between different shipper TMSs to make those appointments. And uh, I think the the story today was Uber sets like 6 million of those appointments. Now they're huge, but you can see how that scales. If you've got to have humans uh, making those appointments, being able to automate that is a huge, huge cost savings. So how does it, how does it work? Well, I, I, I've had them on before. They've talked to me about mm-hmm. it. It's, it's still something newer. So I'm still learning. The audience is still learning. How does this work? Yeah, when you think about it, it it, um, it acts much like uh, going in through the portal. It's just a lot more efficient about it. So the the API can go and find the appointments that are available, and then um, then the API can also request one of those appointments and get a a, a confirmation that you've uh, now booked that appointment. So instead of having to call that location or, uh, again, go back and forth between the different web portals, um, it can actually use uh, the APIs to find out what's available and then make that schedule for you. Interesting. Why do you think that so many companies, well, I mean, not so many, but a dozen or so now have joined on board. They've, they, they've teamed up with the Uber Freights of the world. I believe J.B. Hunt is involved. Convoy was involved. Yeah. They were, I remember we had a wheelbarrow race in 2022 at one of our mm-hmm. events, and those three boots were next to each other. And rumor has it, according to lore, that is where the uh, supply chain scheduling consortium comes from. I cannot neither confirm nor deny that. But what's the state of it now? And like, why would E2 Open join? Why would you team up with potential rivals? and other companies in the space? Yeah, it, and that's a great question because it, at the end of it, we're trying to make supply chains more efficient. That's what E2Open's all about. And you know, from raw materials to finished goods in the hands of consumers, we're, we're working every day to try and make that process more efficient. And when you talk about the thousands of carriers that access our system on a daily basis and the hundreds of shippers that are in there, 
the the labor that's involved in just that one job function of scheduling appointments is incredible. And when, you know, we process about a million and a half loads through our system on a monthly basis. And uh, if each one of those takes five minutes to do an appointment, I can't do that math in my head, but it's a lot. Um, if we can automate that and free up some of these people so that they can do uh, more productive things and more profitable things, and maybe not have to work 16 hours a day and overdose on Zim, then uh, I think we're doing the world some good. Uh, yeah, you you make you make a uh, you make a good point there about the overdosing on Zim. Nobody needs nobody needs that. Um, this is exactly so. How do you bring more partners into this? How do you get more partners into the fold? How do you how do you have people see the vision that you're seeing? So this is more because any network, right? The bigger you can make it, the better it's going to be. The more people it can serve. Yeah. How do you grow this? Yeah, for sure. So I think there's opportunity for um, the larger carriers to develop their own solutions for appointment scheduling and and take advantage of uh, all of the different shipper systems that they work with and being able to connect to them. I think there's a secondary sort of opportunity there for a partner tech company to come along and say, um, you know, we could be the sort of clearinghouse for these appointments and and act as a middleware between so that in the future, it doesn't matter what shipper TMS, they should all be on E2 open. But if they're not, um, it doesn't matter which one you're connecting to, the appointments work the same way. And I, and I love that standardization to, to help all of us be more efficient. What do you think is going to trend in tech this year? May, will it be the Apple Vision Pro? Any, any other than the scheduling consortium? What do, you, what do you see as a category that's really going to take off? Yeah, I mean, I, I like freight tech actually as a category just because we're, uh, and, and you had up earlier, maybe we've hit the bottom, maybe we're coming up. And to be able to position your company to take advantage of the tech to make yourself more profitable, make yourself more efficient. I think this is the time to do it um, before we're into that boom and you're still implementing while everybody else is executing. What, what do you say to people who sort of have that sort of zero-sum thinking when it comes to tech and you, and you bring it up and there's always like the person who will jump in on LinkedIn and go, tech will never work, it's a business of relationships. Like why, why, can't, mm. it, why can't it be both? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Like tech, right. This helps me communicate with people. This helps me book guests. This helps me keep my network via social media, phone calls and texts. And this is tech. Like it hasn't stopped that. It's made that easier. Yeah. And, and I think you let the tech do the easy stuff, take that mundane work off of your plate so that you can focus on those human relationships, whether it's uh, with your customers, which is a great use of your time, uh, problem solving the exceptions that the computer can't handle. Or again, not overdosing on Zen and maybe spend some time with your family and your loved ones instead of being at work all the time. Yeah. Although that Apple Vision Pro may be not that helpful with spending time with the loved ones, Jim. I, I can't imagine sitting around the living room and there's five people with all that strapped to their head in the same room. I can't. That's not what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, one disappointing thing is like when you, when you see the ads, they make it look like the eyes like are super clear, like the virtual eyes and they track you. But like all of the actual reviews I've seen, all the reviewers mentioned that they're, they're super like murky. Like you can't really sort of tell they're, they're kind of glared out when the eyeballs, it doesn't really function the way it does in the ad. Yeah. And I think this uh, would be a lot less interesting if both of us were wearing goggles instead of actually looking at each other. Have you seen the little virtual avatar that it, that it makes of you? They, that like yeah. Marcus Brownlee was recording it. It's, it's still kind of weird. It looked better than like the metaverse floating like bodies thing, but it still like looked right. uh, a little unnatural, a little uncanny valley. Right. I still prefer to see people's faces. Maybe I'm just old school.
Well, hey, I'm talking to a very smart gentleman about M&A a little later in the show. But what do you think? You think you're going to see a lot of deals in Freytech? Last year was a very, very tough space. You know, Convoy led the charge of companies that had taken in way too much valuation. The market didn't like it. Um, there's a lot of companies in that position. I think Spencer's going to tell us in just a little bit that this is like a 10-year high for deal opportunities or companies that may be for sale. What do you think you're going to see this year? Well, it, I'm optimistic, and maybe it's just because spring training's right around the corner, yes. and, and, and that always brings new hope, right? But um, I, I really th- hope that the news that we start to see out of that space is not the uh, you know the layoffs and the closing doors and the shutting down and the bankruptcy sales. I, I'm hoping that we see some really nice strategic acquisitions in the space, whether it's on the tech side or on the carrier and broker side, right? We're 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 too fragmented and we're headed for some consolidation. And I hope that, um, you know, in this next year, 2024, that uh, that those are positive uh, mergers, not the sort of negative ones that we saw last year. Jim, anyone wants to talk tech, they want to talk supply chain scheduling consortium with you. Where do I send them to? Uh, so our website, e2open.com, uh, we have a carrier marketplace sort of division of that, um, which is how you get a hold of me, carrier marketplace at e2open.com. And uh, appreciate you doing it. hope we can do this again. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, Uber Freight's going to be on, I think, either later this week or next week to talk about that press release they just put out about the scheduling consortium. So we'll go even deeper on that. Thank you so much for your time today, Jim. Yeah, thanks. Take care, buddy. Okay, let's see here. Let's get tip the band. Dynamic Logistics gives you total control of your entire shipping operations, live locations, and status updates every 15 minutes, and the ability to combine multiple orders into a single load, leading to significant savings. Check them out at dynamiclogistics.com. That's logistics with an X. Elsewhere. More Apple Vision Pro. People taking them out in public. Looks like G-Face right here. It's when you work in supply chain. You're trying to get home from work, but you got a load to book. You can stop right in the middle of the road and make sure that thing's scheduled for you. I could see Will Hopkins, you know, booking a little heavy haul with that because he's here with us right now. Will, Will Hopkins, founder at Black Box Logistics. Will, what's up, my man? Dude, what's up, man? Appreciate you having me on. Hey, I was... Get to it. I was laughing at your joke. You had what? You had a good one on Lincoln. It said, "Moves one load to Canada, changes job title in signature form, national account manager to international account manager." Yeah, man. It's actually uh, stemmed from a guy we have in office. He's, he's our assistant GM. Love him. And it was it was a joke. But he moved one load to Canada, and he walked in. He's like, "Hey, can I change my job title to international account manager?" And we all had a good laugh about it. Oh, well, beautiful. I love it. By the way, people who don't know, I love all your posts on LinkedIn. You get into market, you show a bunch of heavy haul and all that kind of stuff. Some of these awesome loads you do. But people who don't know, what's the elevator on Black Box? Uh, what do you mean by elevator? Like the elevator pitch. Okay. Like, What would you tell someone your uh, company is? Yeah, so as far as the, the way that we do business, we strive to be small enough to care, big enough to deliver. Uh, we specialize in open deck freight, so flatbed, step decks, hot shots, RGNs. Uh, we will do vans and reefers, but uh, we're in Birmingham, Alabama, big uh, big steel market, and that's kind of been our, our bread and butter, small to medium-sized companies, uh, a few enterprise accounts, but mostly small to medium-sized uh, relationship-based business. By the way, whose jersey is that behind you? I'm seeing a number seven, but I can't read far enough yeah. to see the name. It's Michael Vick. I actually, uh, my gym had a silent auction. I walked in, and I was like, man, surely other people place bids. So I placed the minimum bid for that, and then I got a john daly over here in this corner and you can see it ended up winning four or five things um didn't have anywhere to put him so i figured hey throw him up in the office 
Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, you, you haven't gotten yourself one of those Apple Vision Pros yet, have you? you can, could you see yourself booking no. loads in one? Yeah, so I, I like that you guys are talking about that. I, I was on TikTok yesterday, and I swear every video of my feed was just those uh, those goggles. And, man, they look cool. I mean, I'm going to check them out. Do you, you think people look cool in those? Or you think they, they look, look cool themselves? Not, not that they look cool wearing them, but just the, the graphics and the capabilities is, is pretty uh, fascinating. Dude, let's look at some of your freight, because you, you pull my favorite type of freight, the stuff that's really, really nice and fun to look at. It's got strap work on it. It's really big. Show this first picture here. Talk a little bit about some of these types of, some of this freight, like this move, for example, here. Yeah, so, I mean, we move a little bit of everything. So, on my LinkedIn, you'll see a lot of oversized loads, just because they're, you know, that they catch your attention, they're interesting, that they're cool loads. We also move some boring stuff, uh, you know, just some bar and coils or whatnot. I'm not really sure what that one is that's one of our one of our guys loads but i mean looks like maybe 10 feet wide um pretty straightforward oversized load nothing too crazy there how is managing this type of freight different than managing sort of like your general fak freight man it, it's not too much different you just need to be careful about who you book um so the biggest thing with with oversized freight in my opinion is that a lot of people um they might see the permit price and say, okay, it costs this much, but you're not paying face value for the permits. And I use this metaphor analogy somewhat often. It's, it's, it's almost similar to when you're working with, say, a plumber. You're not paying them to, to beat on the pipes. You're paying them to know where to beat on them and how to do it. So as long as you're, you're using good carriers, it's really headache-free. And it's, in my opinion, it can be much easier than some of that general freight. Uh, you just need to be careful. A lot of them need crane appointments and, and whatnot so you need to stay on top of it but uh i mean man we love it it's our favorite type of freight how do you find the right drivers for these type of loads there's more touch again there's the strap work are these like flatbed guys who come in how do you how do you bring in that the heavy haul project freight kind of guy so it, it just depends and and really what i've done is i've sourced my carriers through i mean just brokering over the years so i mean a lot of times there's there's stuff that i'm not able to to quote off the hip, you know, I mean, for example, there's like a 130 foot load that I moved about a month ago and, and I've got a guy that I know can do it. So I just call him and I'm like, Hey, this is what we're working with. He tells me how much. And, uh, I mean, man, they have the experience and I trust them and, and they price it outright. So, um, thankfully we work with a, a good group of carriers that, uh, make it easy on us really. You know, again, if you, the thing with oversized loads, a lot of them pay a lot. So if you, if you take one to a load board, you post it out, and it's paying $10,000, $10, you know, everybody's going to call you. They're like, well, I'll do just about anything for 10000 and they don't know what they're doing. You can get them into some trouble. But uh, we try to source them off the boards through kind of our, our carrier network, just referrals and whatnot. Wow. What's, the, uh, what's like, the coolest thing that you've, you've hauled that you can talk about? Um, man, so I didn't personally haul this. This is actually recent. I don't know if it's the coolest, but what comes to mind, one of our guys moved a, uh, a plane engine for the military, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I posted that on LinkedIn uh, maybe last week. That was a really cool one, uh, just because it's not too often that, that we haul something like that. Anything with the military is usually pretty cool. Uh, a lot of Humvees, tanks, that sort of thing. Um, but then, I mean, a lot of it's just, you know, like wide steel plate or aggregate equipment, just all kinds of stuff. What happens when something goes wrong? Well, it, it depends what goes wrong. Um I guess I would need, need an example, just like with anything with freight, right? There's so many variables or things that, that could happen. Um, so, I mean, but for the most part, our customers are, are good about getting us exactly what we need for the permits, right? 
Uh, we usually, if it's something real obscure, we'll get pictures of it, let the driver see it. If it's a, a real big move, the driver might even go over there a day early to kind of get a, a look at it and get a, a game plan together. So we really try to cut down on any issues. And, uh, I mean, really, I, I would need kind of a specific example. I mean, I don't want to say that everything's always smooth sailing, but for, for the most part, we don't have anything too, too crazy happen. Uh, sometimes, like I mentioned with those crane appointments, if there's any kind of delay, we just need to coordinate on both ends and make sure that nobody's paying for a crane without a truck there. Well, do logistics companies need to own who they are? You've been crushing it on LinkedIn. You had another one here that said, brother, buying a one-power unit doesn't make your brokerage asset-based. It's okay to be a 3PL. It's okay not to run trucks. Proud 3PL uh, checking in. Explain your uh, position here. Yeah, so, I mean, having assets is great, right? But if you don't have assets, don't pitch that you have assets. And it's, it's okay to be third-party. You know, I feel like uh, in our industry, the, the word broker kind of has a, like a, a dirty connotation to it, but it's, it's okay. It's what we do. We broker freight, you know, just own who you are, uh, take pride in it. And again, like our guys, we're not trying to present anything that we're not. Um, and I, I mean, I hear about and like, you know, quite a few companies that, that are pitching the whole asset based thing and, and you might have an asset, but if you're going to broker the loads, I mean, just, just be transparent. I feel like if you go into a transaction with dishonesty, it's kind of always hanging over you, you know? So, uh, we found success in just kind of owning who we are and, uh, and not being ashamed to be, you know, a third-party brokerage. You know, Robert Pogue had a uh, good reply here. He said, it's pretty easy to identify those companies that started out as a trucking company, then started at 3PL to better serve their customers, versus those that use deceptive wording and practices to try to make themselves appear to be something they are not. Just be proud of who you are and what you do. It's the same message I used to tell my support soldiers in the special ops units. Some of them tried to put out the message they were something they weren't as well. Be great at what you do. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. I thought it was a, a fantastic comment. Um, yeah, I think that's the best way to do business. Well, Will, before I let you go, who should reach out to you? Who do you want to work with? What kind of freight do you want to pull? How do you want to, how do you want to prop up Black Box? So we, we've got somebody for everything, right? So me personally, my experience is open deck, oversized freight. But again, we've got two, three guys that are just running reefers or, or vans or expedited. So I mean, really, we wouldn't turn anything away, right? But again, our specialties in open deck, I mean, steel, raw materials, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, whoever, if you, if you want another, uh, another look at your loads, you know, Black Box Logistics, you can find me on LinkedIn or, or Hopkins at shipblbx.com. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much, man. Next time you got an awesome shipment, let's, uh, let's go take a look at it. Uh, it was great to meet you today. You too. Thanks for having me on. Take it easy. All right. Uh, this is getting a little weird. Got another guy in a Vision Pro out in public, and this guy's got a robot dog with him. <laughs> He's remote controlling with his eyes on. It's a brave new world. What is this going to look like by the end of the decade? Do you think this thing flops like a year from now? Nobody has these. It gets cheaper. A lot of people get them. Spencer, have, have you been eyeballing these? You've got a Vision Pro already, don't you? Uh, that would be a negative, Dooner. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but who knows? Who knows, right? Um, we got Spencer Tenney with us. He's the president and CEO at the Ten A Group. How you doing, sir? How's your year treating you so far? Oh, it's great. I'm doing wonderful. Um, very uh, grateful to be doing the work that we're doing to serve business owners in this space. It's uh, it's it's going to be an exciting year. So so glad to be with you to to talk about it. What was January about for you? That's kind of setting the temperature. Although this January is a little bit weird. A lot of storms. I feel like my kids were only in school like five days out of like the entire month. It was very sort of a strange start-stop month. What were you seeing in January? 
Well, I would say it was invigorating on the business front. It was a little stressful on the home front, as you mentioned, because of <laughs> because of the snow. I was having uh, PTSD from uh, from COVID, uh, being with my kids and, and trying to help them with homework while they were home. So, uh, um, very excited to be moving into into February and and and, and getting on with uh, what needs to be done here. Yeah, it's it's almost like doing your kids' homework. It's almost like being stuck on that show where you're smarter than a third grader, and you, you don't really remember how much basic stuff you have uh, forgot over over the years. No, it was it was cool. We got killed. You're in Tennessee too, aren't you? We like just one inch of snow. It's the ice here. We don't have like salt trucks in this state like they do in the Northeast. They don't like pre-treat the roads. And if you're on a back road, like you are just you got to wait until the uh, city or town comes to you. There's there's some streets that took like I think the sun just came out and melted it. They never even got any help. No, I know. We we have people that on our team that they come from all over and they're like, what is going on here? What is the big deal? And and, and we're just saying, hey, this is for your own safety, because uh, <laughs> really this is not like this is not like where you came from. So just uh, suck it up and we'll get back to work as quickly as possible. Let, let's talk about let's talk about deals. Let's talk about money. We kind of teased it coming into this. First of all, how was 2023? I think there's a perception that 2023, especially in freight, was very bad. A lot of values were drawn down. Uh, I don't think we reported, like this uh, This is why we're going to get into data too. I don't think we reported on as many deals, but maybe there were them when I thought. And when I look at it, there were some notable ones. Look at these notable deals in 2023. You had Knight Swift acquiring US Express, obviously hit close to home with the uh, with Craig Fuller's dad's involvement over there. Uh, Schneider acquired M&M Transport. Hub Group brought uh, Ford Aerosmith final mile segment tfi got uh Daisuke, cox automotive got ArcBest, fleetnet america there's a whole bunch on here how was 2023 well the, you know we have to look at the data right so according to capital iq the total value of the transactions compared to 2022 was down 82 percent. that's a Whoa. big number Whoa. um the vo- the volume of transactions was down 33 percent. so to your point, there were certainly um, notable transactions, but what we can clearly see is that there was a third fewer of them, and they were much smaller than what we saw in 2022. Now, is that is that a correction, right? Because when you look at 2021, there's a lot of companies, Convoy, for example, that a lot of the reason was death by overfunding, right? They got these crazy sky-high nosebleed valuations in 2021, even the beginning of 2022. And then when it came time to be like, wait a second, what is this really worth? We saw a big change. And I know just like, the, the vibe that I felt from just being at Freightways and not seeing all the headlines in 2023 is you wouldn't see those crazy unicorn valuations for like a visibility provider or a digital freight matcher. Well, the fundamentals that were driving M&A in 2022 were, were still very much there in 2023, but here's what was different. Number one, the cost of capital is extremely different. Um, we don't have to have free debt, which is what we've effectively had the last couple of years uh, in the M&A world. We don't need that to have significant tra- uh, transaction activity, but we do need stability. And so what was very challenging in the market over the last year was that since 2022, there was 11 uh, individual interest rate hikes. And so that type of uh, increase of capital, capital that fast, it just was very difficult for folks that wanted to exit, that wanted to begin the process of selling their business, it was just very difficult for them to lean in and say, hey, this makes sense for me right now, because it probably didn't. And so we had a, a tremendous shortage of supply of companies available to purchase. And then the other part of it, that when you have a th- the freight market, which was just you know free falling, 
it was just extremely difficult for buyers and sellers to get alignment on the value of the company, even when they had willing parties. Uh, when month over month companies are, uh, the performance is temporarily uh, deteriorating, it's just very difficult to get alignment and actually get a deal done. So uh, I think what you're going to see is a lot of that activity just ultimately pushing to 2024. Let's look at some of that data. You guys, Tanay Group put out a great report. You can go to TanayGroup.com. You can check out the full report there. We'll get into just a little bit of it, but you want the full thing. Go over there first. This is off offers by buyer type. Break down this for us. What am I looking at here? Yeah, so, so what we try to do with our report um, compared to a lot of different places where you can get similar data is that we're trying to provide a lens into what we're actually seeing with lower middle market deals. Companies that we represent that have somewhere between 20 to 300 million in annual revenue, all transportation logistics. What we're trying to understand is like who is actually doing the deals. And so what we're seeing here, this is kind of broken up by buyer type. Um, and why we think this is interesting is because when people are planning their exits and they're thinking about what do I need to do to get ready to sell my company? Well, they need to know who's going to be the most probable investors for the business and buyers. And so when they do that, um, they typically work on the business in the right way and they can, and they can do the right things. But, you know, what you're looking at in that status, even in four different economic climates and freight markets over the last four years, what we typically see is about 85% of the total offers generated, they continue to come from folks that have an existing investment interest in transportation in some form or fashion. It might be direct or it could be in an adjacent space. But the point is people invest in transportation because they understand it and they're not afraid of it. And, and, and I think when people understand that that's what the data says, uh, then they approach the process of selling their business more constructively and more effectively. So is that what like strategic means versus private equity without platform, private equity with platform, private investor, these certain categories that we're looking at on here? Right. So like an example, one of those notable deals that we did was uh, Big G Express acquiring RTR Transportation. You know, both kind of uh, one is a uh, they're both in Tennessee. They're both kind of regional drive in carriers. Uh, what was interesting about it is one was an ESOP. And so uh, Big G, who was the ESOP, was able to address a lot of the, the needs um, that were important to the sellers, RTR, transportation, our clients, because of that ESOP benefit that they were able to pass on to the employees because our client was really serious about they wanted to take care of their employees. Well, selling to a buyer that already had an ESOP set up for their um, organization just made a, a very logical fit. So those types of things are what drives these strategic type transactions. Let's take a look at structure over here. And uh, there's a lot of bars on here. And um, it says contention <laughs> consideration, earnout plus seller financing. What does this tell us? Well, th there's a couple things here. And, and I'll say this, Dooner, like this is you know huge asterisk because this is a relatively small sample. But what we want to try to convey is that, number one, structure certainly plays a significant part in almost all transactions. And so year over year, these are different type companies. And depending on the size of them, they might kind of shift the results. But the main thing here is we're just trying to provide a different lens um, year over year about the things that are driving deals um, in 2023. And then also even in, in 2020, where we major disruption around COVID in 2020, and then you know similar disruption in the freight mark. Well, when you have that type of disruption, you generally attract... Um, more structure, more earnout type, earn type scenarios because it allows buyers and sellers to approach risk constructively. So 
you know, no, no party is, is, is taking more risk than it's appropriate based on what's happening in the, uh, the business at that time of the close of the, uh, of, the, of the transaction. So the main thing is that we're just trying to provide some color for folks to understand how this works and what are some of the characteristics that drive structure in the deal. You know, all of them were around 61%, except for 2021, which is 44.5%. Why the difference? Um, well, I think part of that was um, in our transactions, there was a lot of folks that needed protection. There was a lot of wonderful performance, but a lot of folks were chalking that up to broader macro tailwinds. And so they wanted to make sure in that particular period that um, it wasn't just a one-time event. And so you see, you saw a lot of earnouts that, hey, if you continue to do this, uh, we'll pay you for it uh, and gladly pay you for it. But if this was a once-in-a-lifetime type non-reoccurring record performance, you know, we didn't we need to account for that in structure. And so that was a key characteristic in 2021. Now, when we talk about cash considerations from strategic buyers and from financial buyers, what's the difference there? What do they, what do they value? Well, part of it is just um, it, could, it could be a couple different things. I mean, uh, you know, private equity approaches in a couple different ways. Um, they want to limit the amount of um, leverage on the business. They want to try to keep it healthy and they want to set it up to exit in four to five years. Whereas a strategic, you know, maybe they're they're less concerned about the capital structure that they're setting up because they already have built-in synergies that they know that they're going to have post-transaction. So they approach uh, debt and equity a little bit differently when they're structuring the deal. So it's very common for your strategic buyers to make an offer that's very clean. It's all cash. Maybe it's not the highest price the market can make available, but it's clean, it's straightforward, um, and it's simple. And so I, I think that Part of those is just like, what is the private equity trying to do versus what is the, the strategic trying to accomplish post-transaction? Um, and some of it's just like, what, what are the levers that they have available to pull? You know, if, if you're talking about a publicly traded strategic, they, they have a whole different war chest of, of, of different uh, instruments they can use to get deals done versus your kind of regional strategic. But the main deal is um, they're, they're, they're trying to structure the way to make it as, as compelling as possible for the seller to accept it. And if they have the cash, they've been able to do it, and they have the post-transaction synergies available to help them recoup that initial equity investment, then that's a, that's a, a no-brainer for them. Knowing what not to buy can be as important as knowing what to buy. How do you know something's like sort of this uninvestable zombie company? Maybe it was valued too high. Maybe it's just not the market fit. What are your tips for identifying those kind of companies, the ones to just completely avoid? No, I think a lot of things. Um, I'm a big fan of the work that the folks over at KSM Transport Advisors do with their network analysis. And so what they do is they're able to look at um, a company and, 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 and to provide an analysis of where their strengths and weaknesses are within their existing network. And then you can effectively design an acquisition target profile around the most accretive possible transaction that you could create by filling those gaps and creating more fleet utilization and more efficiencies across the board. So for me, the discipline of reverse engineering that process, I'm not just saying I want to grow and it doesn't really matter. I think starting with that discipline is a great best practice for acquirers that, um, you know, expect much from their acquisitions and the equity that they put in them. So that, that was, that, that's something that I would do. And the other part of it is just, um, some of it's just, 
it might be a great company, but it's just culturally on a different universe. And so I think that that's for me, the, the folks that I look at that have done this the last 50 years, since my family's been doing this, that's just kind of a non-starter. If it's not going to be a, a strong culture fit, if there's just too much risk post-transaction from an integration standpoint to, to fool with it. So just move on, get something that's a tighter fit culturally, and, and, and almost always you'll have a, a, a much smoother transaction and you'll create more value from it. Are, are there certain categories that nobody's interested in 2024? Like, I don't know, blockchain, digital freight matching. Is there something that's just kind of like, if it's in a pitch deck, you're probably going to, you got to rethink it. You're going to get kicked out of the room. No, I, don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I've been doing this a long time and, and there's, you know, when we're, when we're talking to somebody, we, we want to be, we're, we're doing our diligence just like they're doing they're you know, like a buyer's doing a diligence on, on the deal. Like, you know, we don't want to waste our time trying to sell something that we don't think that it can be sold. I think the realities are that what we're not dealing with no market. We might be dealing with a very narrow market. So the things that we're considering are, okay, if we have a, a, a pool of call it half a dozen strategic buyers who should do this deal, then we have to look at like, okay, have they already, did they just do a deal? Are they still integrating that deal? Can they, um, give this full consideration right now. I think that's what's some of the realities around trying to market a company that is, is very unique. Um, uh, you know, actually being, being a niche type operation is actually very good in some ways. But uh, honestly, I think the things that are, that are harder, if it's just, you're kind of, you know, boilerplate drive in, um, very mediocre performance, high exposure to spot, right? I mean, those are the ones that are going to have, you know, uh, old equipment. Those are the ones that are going to be the hardest to actually find an audience just because it's hard to find value there. Speaking of M&A, what do you think about our own founder and CEO, Craig Fuller, buying FreightWaves Media from, from FreightWaves Sonar to wrap into his big Firecrown brand? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that, what that means. And so does that mean you're the boss now or what does that mean? I don't like, so. I'm still the boss of what the truck. That's a, that's about it. Just still the boss of what the truck, you know, I got my own little domain. I got my own King kingdom. No, I, I think it's, I think it's great in terms of, uh, for me, I, I'm still kind of getting some of the facts just from some of the headlines and some of the, the things that we're, we're all still taking in, but I, I like the discipline of it. I, I, I like it when I see organizations double downing on their core strengths. And, and effectively, that's what I see what, what, what's happening here. And so, um, so I'm, it, it looks like something that's going to be exciting for the organization. And, and I'm interested to see what you guys do next. I'm excited for Craig. Yeah, me too. Well, in your report, it said supply of companies to purchase hits 10-year high. That sounds like it could be a very elect potential to be in a very electric market in 2024. What is your prediction? How do you think this year goes? Yeah, so there's so there's two things going on um, as part of that. Number one, in 2023, according to Atri, the average cost per mile per truck was up 21.3 percent. That's an enormous number. So um, that's gonna the only way to you can no one can absorb that. You have to, and you can't really offset it through organic growth, which means that there's going to be more new buyers coming to the table than probably we've ever seen um, for TNL type M&A work. Um, just to offset these these growing expenses. Now, why we think there's going to be so many sellers is because we've effectively come up like 2020, 20, uh, you know, a huge demographic of aging baby boomer business owners should have exited, but they kind of got on this roller coaster and haven't been able to get off since then because of COVID. And then we had 
you know, a, a year, uh, you know, record year, the year of a lifetime uh, in terms of profitability and riding those tailwinds of that year. You know, 2022 had equipment values, was um, making things kind of confusing. And then 2023, we have a horrible freight market, interest rate hikes, all the things. So I would say, uh, according to our data, a significant portion of folks who should have exited just did it. And so now they're out of reasons to not exit. And so they're going to come into, they're going to accept reasonable valuations for their business because quite frankly, they're out of gas. Um, and there's, they don't, you know, they prefer to exit with market valuations versus double downing um, and, and, and expanding their existing exposure with no greater certainty that the conditions will be better in the future. So you put all that in a pot and we think that there's going to be just a huge spike of activity, particularly for your small and mid-size uh, t and companies, both on the brokerage on the truckload side. And for me, that's exciting. I think you're going to see a tremendous shift in the com- uh, competitive landscape. And um, I mean, I think there's going to be tons of folks that reinvent themselves and change the entire trajectory of their company's futures. Any particular company I think gets uh, sold this year? Any, any big names? Ooh, that's dangerous. I got to be careful about that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do think, I, I don't think that you're going to see a ton of blockbuster deals. I don't think the conditions um, really promote that. Yeah. But I do think yeah. we'll see some significant transactions. And the reason being, um, when you have pressure coming off this year, like we had, when you have 30% reduction for uh, freight rates, uh, it forces people to really open up the playbook about creating and protecting business value. And so because uh, of that, and because of just, you know, there's all kinds of reasons for there to be pain within large organizations. I think that you'll see some major transactions get done quite frankly, just because investors will see this as a, as a time, um, to get a value type transformational deal completed. Um, you know, I think it was very challenging and very expensive to get that done in the last 24 months. This might be a way to, you know, literally transform the whole industry at a much uh, more economical price point. I get it. So, hey, beleaguered founders, you may be able to get out. You may be able to sell. PE might be happy with the valuation. You might not be the happiest with it, but hey, there's a lot of deals on the market. Spencer, it's a great report. How do people go and find it? So the best place is just go to our website, thetennygroup.com. Hit on insights and uh, that's where you'll be. Uh, or you can just follow me on LinkedIn and uh, you can find it on my direct page, Spencer Tenney. Spencer, who's winning the Super Bowl? Um, you know, I'm probably going to go with Chiefs, but, I, but hey, you reminded me of something. We'll yeah. go with Chiefs. It's the Chiefs. All right. The Taylor, Taylor Swift and the Chiefs. Spencer's got it. Spencer, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for giving us some of these shocking numbers about what's going on in M&A. Very interesting to hear. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find this show on social media at FW What the Truck. Uh, find all our back episodes wherever you get audio podcasts. Or if you want video, hey, on Spotify, we're on video. Or FreightWaves YouTube page, entire playlist of every single FreightWaves episode. Take care, don't be a stranger, and see you Wednesday.